everyone, and welcome to another panel hosted by SheProp. Once again, I'm excited about this topic, and once again, I'm excited to talk to these incredible cosplayers that we invited to be with us today. And today, we are talking about imposter syndrome. We're talking to people who ask themselves the question, I can't believe they're buying it. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe they think I should be here. So I think this is something a lot of people feel, so I'm excited to get into it. But first, Let's hear about SheProp. SheProp is a growing community that is focused upon supporting, empowering, and representing female, non-binary, and transgender cosplayers, artists, and makers. You can watch these panels on the SheProp YouTube channel or listen to them on the SheProp Talk podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're interested in joining us over at the SheProp community, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We will add links in the show notes to help you find us, and we'd love to have you, so thank you for joining us. My name is Abby. I'm Abby Cat Cosplay. I've been cosplaying for about six years. And this is a topic that's important to me because I think the more we can normalize mental health conversations, the less stigmatized people who struggle with those things can feel. So I'm excited to get into this with everybody. Hi, I am Beverly, also known as Down in Creative Studios. Um, I'm also the founder of SheProp. And uh, I've been cosplaying since... I think 2014, I think Abby and I started pretty much at the same time. Um, and this topic is really important to me because I think, I think that as a creator, I have been suffering through imposter syndrome forever, uh, but it was through cosplay that I was able to identify what it is. And um, yeah, I think that it's important for us all to be able to do that and to talk about it and to, like Abby was saying, to normalize it. Um, and we can only do that if we have these discussions. So I'm really excited about doing that today. Hello, my name is Trina Lucas and my cosplay name is Leek Couture. I've been cosplaying for about nine years and uh, imposter syndrome is important to me because in my experience, everyone has experienced it at some point in their life. And so I want to normalize that because it's a shared experience that we all have so we can all talk about it. Hi, I'm Lizzie Chapman. Um, I am a professional costume technician and illustrator, and I wanted to come and talk about imposter syndrome today because it has definitely affected my career trajectory, as well as just my sense of self-worth as an artist. And I really think that I wanted to help other artists through these conversations try to overcome those feelings, and I think conversations like this are very important. Uh, hi, I'm Angela Jarman, and uh, I guess my cosplay name would be Fancy Berry Angela. Uh, that's at least my social media handle. I am a professional fairy wing designer. And uh, I suppose I'd been cosplaying since before I knew that cosplay was a thing. Um, before it was, before the term was created, maybe, I don't know. Uh, and um, I'd always tried to see how closely I can look to the characters that I liked, um, even if it was just in my bathroom mirror. Um, and I eventually started my own character party company. Uh, so I sort of got to live out all my cosplaying fantasies that way, um, as my favorite characters, interacting with kids. And that is actually what led me to um, my current career and making fairy wings for other cosplayers and children's entertainers and all sorts of people. Um, so this is important to me because 
along with my perfectionism, uh, it often hampers my um, ability to move forward with projects and uh, my um, ability to generate income sometimes. Um, it, it's definitely something that has impacted me and I know it's impacted other artists and cosplayers as well. And yeah, um, destigmatizing it is important, I think. Well, thank you all very much for joining us today for the imposter syndrome pa panel. You were all invited because you are all at very different places career-wise with what you're doing, how long you've been doing it, all sorts of things. And this is an issue that affects a lot of people, regardless of where they are in their career or their cosplay experience. So I think it's really great that you're all here to share how this impacts you and how other people can maybe relate to that. Um, I do have to give one brief disclaimer, which is that nobody on this panel is a mental health professional. So if you're listening to the stories that these panelists have and you think that sounds just like me, that's not a diagnosis. Please don't take it that way. Um, that is something that maybe you want to bring up with a mental health professional if you get an opportunity. Hopefully you do. Um, but this is really just people sharing their own personal stories and experiences. Um, and I do want to define imposter syndrome so people know what it is we're talking about. Um, its definition is the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own um, efforts or skills. The other thing about this is it is not a mental health disorder. It is a phenomenon or a pattern of behavior that's often presented itself within people who have depression or anxiety. It is not a, a disorder in itself. So keep that in mind when we're talking. Um, we want to be upfront about that. But I am excited to get started and start talking to some great people. So the first thing, this is a pattern of things that are of behaviors and feelings that we see. So how does your experience with imposter syndrome present itself for you? And Beverly, let's start with you. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be talking about this. Um, and I have to say that I am feeling really anxious right now just talking about <laughs> imposter syndrome. And I know that I'm not alone. And I think that that, is, that last part, knowing that you're not alone is important. Um, but to get to the whole idea of like what kinds of patterns we see in the way that our imposter syndrome presents itself. Um, I had to write all this stuff down so I wouldn't forget. Um, well, as a maker and also as a, somebody who tries to educate people, um, I, every time I do something new, every time, everything that I do that is a new skill or something that I am trying for the first time or, something that maybe I failed at or I think that I failed at um, and I put that out online for people to see so that's quite a lot um, I always do that sort of like oh with a like a knot in my in my throat because I feel like someone's going to be like hey that is that is that is not how you do that and that that does happen sometimes um, but Anytime I do something new or, or take a risk or dive into something that I don't, that I'm not an expert on, which is quite a lot, um, that is something that I, I feel quite often. Um, and like I was saying before, I, it took cosplay for me to really identify those feelings and to now know that that is, that is a normal thing. That happens to everybody, almost everybody. And if it doesn't happen to someone, then I want to know what that 
I want to know what their secret is. <laughs> I am going to be honest. I don't feel imposter syndrome at all. I've got mental health issues, a ton of them, anxiety being one, but I, anything good happening to me, I'm like, yes, yes, that is, <laughs> that is right. So I, I am interested in hearing about all of how all of you experience that myself. Um, so Trina, how about you? How does your imposter syndrome, how did it present itself to you. Yeah. So I have a background in art. And um, so I'm a fine artist. So I do illustration. Um, And I didn't have a problem with that because I could see that, oh, drawing is a skill that you develop over time. Like I'm not going to be Michelangelo as soon as I start. But when I got into costuming and cosplaying, even though I've been sewing most of my life, um, there was sort of a threshold of like, oh, this, I'm not an expert. This isn't perfect enough. And it often, um, it paralyzes me. It keeps me from moving on. Um, and that's how I've, I've seen it presented. I can get really excited about a project. I don't ever feel when I, when I approach a project that I can't do it. It's once I get started and I'm in the middle of it. It's like, oh, wait, nope, this is as far as I can go. This is as much as I know. Now I better become an expert in this thing before I move on. And it's silly. Um, so that's how I've seen it presented in, in my life. Do you see that it ties to any other patterns that you see with mental health or other issues like depression or anxiety? Um, Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it tied definitely to anxiety of the um, uh, anxious feelings of like, it's not going to be good enough. Um, People aren't going to like it and how unsettling that feels even for myself of like, if it's not perfect. And what about you, Angela? Do, do you notice a tie in your experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I also have a very, very big issue with perfectionism, um, like to, to an obsessive point. Uh, and so it's, it's all tied in with my um, generalized anxiety disorder and uh, inattentive ADD. Um, and so uh, executive dysfunction also usually accompanies that. Um, you know, like she was just saying, uh, it, it, it freezes you. I mean, it freezes me. <laughs> um, just the thought of not being able to possibly get it perfect can sometimes cause me to just sort of push it away for a year mm-hmm. <laughs> or more, you know? I... I in my head, it's like, if it's not perfect, then I can't do it. You know, I can't, I can't put something out that, that isn't perfect. Um, and the downside of that is that, you know, I end up with all these unfinished projects and a long, long list of things that I want to do um, that I then feel very anxious and, and kick myself over not getting them all done. And Lizzie, I know you had something to add to that. Yeah, so as far as that particular thing, I actually have a story that I think will be funny and enlightening. Um, So I used to work in New York City as a a freelance costume stitcher, non-union. This is very important to know, (laughs) non-union. And I had just started working out. uh, I, I was about, I think I was 24 when I moved to New York. And I wanted to hit up all the fabric stores in the fashion district. And I was really overwhelmed because I was from the suburbs and hadn't spent a lot of time in cities, although I had lived in Baltimore before. And I also did not understand just how deep my 
my mental health issues were at the time and my self-loathing and this ties into the imposter syndrome and how it manifests. So um, I didn't know at the time that I had a pretty severe depression um, and anxiety issue. And so I'm walking around, you know, the fashion district. I'm like, oh yeah, let's go into mood. Okay, yeah, let's go into mood fabric. So I walk in and I'm like, this is where like all the real designers go. I need to leave. Okay, let's try another store. <laughs> so like I go, I go down and I go to B&J Fabrics. And this was the one that I don't know if y'all have ever been so socially anxious or so self-loathing that you have ran out of a fabric store, like run away. But I did. I got in there and I saw how beautiful it was. I saw how clean it was. There's renderings, hand-painted costume renderings on the wall that really prominent costume designers have done. And the whole air inside that shop is one that's very, I mean, the whole atmosphere is very exclusionary. And so here I am, like, I'm broke AF. I have no effing money. I'm here on my own trying to support myself in New York City. I look broke. You know, I look exhausted. And I walk in and I'm like, all these people are, they know, like all these people know, everybody in the store, all these employees, they all know that I'm just a fake. And I like, lost my mind and ran out of the store (laughs) um so it's just like that was a very illuminating moment where I realized okay this isn't normal and there were many other instances and mostly for me it's in my career with cosplay I and I'll answer this later uh in the prompt but cosplay itself was a lot more um uh, like healing for me, but in my career as an artist, in my career as a costume technician, I, it it was very illuminating for me to discover, like, I could not bring myself to enter certain places of business because I felt I didn't belong there. Um, I couldn't bring myself to apply for certain jobs, like working at say John Christensen or another prominent art, you know, costume fabricator in New York city, because I felt like I had no right to be there. And that experience of literally running away from B&J Fabrics yeah. <laughs> um, really made me go, this is not normal. <laughs> well, let's move on to the next prompt, though, with that. So yeah. you're not in that place now. So how yeah. did you begin to be able to cope with that and get past those things? I would say my, my coping mechanisms are not perfect. Um, I don't do always a good job. And this is especially true now that I have lost my employment, you know, I, I was never in the costume union. And so when everything went downhill with COVID, I lost my job completely from, you know, entirely. Um, and so, and I have no security. So I'm trying to pivot now to get into the Costume Designers Guild as a costume illustrator. I want to get in the union. And that is re-triggering all over again, mm. everything that I had kind of healed from with my current trajectory as a costume stitcher and technician. So I'm having to like go back to those kind of coping mechanisms. And one of them is the strongest thing for me is actually to go back and look at my old work. I know it seems counterintuitive, but I have a pretty massive portfolio. And I can say now as a stitcher, I'm very confident in my skill and I do have a lot of technical mastery. So looking back at older things I have made and the body of work that I have done has really helped me overcome feelings of imposter syndrome because I can open my closet 
and touch something and be like, I put bound buttonholes in this. This is a cosplay that I used. I put bound buttonholes in or like, this is a cosplay that I hand tailored with pad stitching, you know? So it's stuff like that, that really helps me boost my own confidence. Cause sometimes as a maker, you get in this headspace where you're like, I'm creating, I'm creating, I'm creating. And the time doesn't, the time just doesn't matter. You know, your experience kind of transcends. You don't notice what you're doing until like years later sometimes. So I do find that that is my best coping mechanism to help with imposter syndrome is actually going back and looking at my, my older work. Um, what, what other sort of coping mechanisms do people use to get past these feelings? And Beverly, let's hear from you about that. Um, there are... There are several, and I think that I have learned over the years that this is going to be an ongoing process for me. It's not like I'm going to wake up one day and I'm going to be cured of imposter syndrome. It's just something mm -hmm. that I need to be able to recognize right away and then get just take the steps beyond that, whatever it is that is preventing me from moving forward, whether that's with an opportunity or with like a project or anything. So I feel like when I feel that like that feeling in my in my gut my my heart is like racing it's it is a form of anxiety because I am it's like the evil part of myself is saying you don't deserve any of this who do you think you are like you 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 cannot do this the other part of of the other side of me it's getting a little louder um now that I'm getting more practice with shutting that side of my brain off um that part is just saying, what, well, just one step at a time, mm -hmm. just do it. Sometimes it's, I have to really make myself uh, just move forward, just say yes to that project to practice and do things over and over and over again before I actually have to perform them um, so that I feel like I am a little bit more prepared. I think the over-preparedness is one of the things that um, a lot of people with this do. We're mm -hmm. perfectionists. We, we, we practice. We there's so much failure behind the scenes so we can make the, the outward part of us seem really shiny. Um, so one thing that I try to do is, and if you're familiar with my social media, you will see that I will also post a lot of the things that didn't work out for me. And I think that being transparent about that is allowing myself the space to have those moments where, yeah, you know what, nobody's perfect. And I am certainly not. Um, maybe I don't know. My, I, and because I'm not an expert, that doesn't mean that I don't belong here. And that is something that I am really trying to work on. Like the sheep rock piano, like what the hell am I doing? Like starting a group uh, with, with these women, like any day now they're going to figure out that like, I don't know what I'm doing. What is all of this? It's, it's like, it's amazing, but it's also really, really scary because like, you find yourself in the middle of the situation. You're like, well, I can't back out now. This is happening. Like the, the, I've had oppor amazing opportunities that, um, was in the middle of it, like almost, almost like having a freak out because I just couldn't believe that I was shooting something for Marvel. Like oh, there any moment now they're going to figure out what, what, like they're going to flip my scenes or they're going to be like, oh, this is crap. Um, but just telling myself, reminding myself that no, okay, there was a reason why you have been invited to do this. There's a reason why like you are, you are doing all this. So I have to continually talk myself into taking one one more step one step forward at a time um, and it's a it's an ongoing process but one thing that I have been doing a lot of recently in order to 
overprepare for this panel, um, was to check out uh, a lot of the YouTube TED Talks on imposter syndrome. And I think there's there's so much value in hearing these stories that other people are, are talking about. Super incredibly successful people. Um, there's a quote by Maya uh, that Maya Angelou said that I'm going to pull up and tell you guys because it is amazing. Um, Maya Angelou, she said, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're gonna find out now. I run a game on everybody and they're gonna find me out. So she is one of the most successful like authors of all time. And if she feels that way, it makes me feel a little bit better knowing that I'm not alone. So those are exactly. some of the coping mechanisms that I, that I use. Uh, it's just to remember that I'm, I'm not alone, but this is, and that also this is an ongoing process for me that I am a work in progress. So we do know that the pattern of, of feelings that imposter syndrome gives us is very tied to anxiety and depression. Um, so if you are comfortable sharing any experiences, bringing anxiety or depression or imposter syndrome feelings to a medical professional, has, how has that, if you want to share that experience, how has that gone for you? And Angela, let's, is that something you'd like to address? Yeah, I had not regular, like not very regularly uh, been seeing a therapist until last, I want to say last fall or, or winter. Um, until then, it had just been kind of eh, sporadic, you know, it's through Kaiser, like they think that you should only have like six and you should be done. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. So uh, I ended up having to go to um, uh, an outside network person, like, you know, the people that they refer you to. And so now I am on a, a weekly schedule, which has been great. Um, you know, it's just the fact of having someone to, to be accountable to that is not a family member or a boyfriend or, you know, someone that you can just say, oh, they're just going to be nice to me. You know, they're going to say what, what they think that I want to hear. Um, just that alone has been a big help and probably saving my sanity through this whole mess of 2020. When it comes to, let's say, for example, pricing things, I have all this guilt, like, ah, that's not, you know, what if this would take in someone else a much shorter time to finish? You know, what if it's just, what if this is just my problem, how long it's taken? And, and I, I don't know. It wouldn't look as good, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if True, it took right? a much shorter time to finish, it wouldn't look as good. That's for darn sure. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of the time, um, it, it is her telling me, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. I, I think you're doing more than you realize. Um, and, and sort of pointing out the different ways in, in which she thinks I have. And um, it helps. But there will still be that little voice in the back of my mind saying, she's just being nice. But um, there have definitely been things that I've looked back and realized like, oh, wow, my childhood friends were um, also my childhood bullies. And I didn't have the skills or the teaching or, or, or the tools to know how to set my boundaries or even to know that that's not okay for them to do that to me. So I kind of grew up with this 
they're just being nice, but they don't really want you around. And that is, you know, I, I, it must in some way also affect my work. So it's, I'm definitely get, gotten better. Um, and like we said before, uh, looking back on the things that I have accomplished have helped with that a lot. Um, so it's tough. I, I highly recommend it uh, if you can, um, you know, to, to seek therapy if it is something that is impacting your life. Um, not always easy to get, but um, you got to push for it. I, I don't have the patterns of imposter syndrome, but I do have a history of anxiety. And I say it is the conspiracy theorist that lives in my head and has very convincing arguments. And it sounds like you're right there with me where it's like, I'm like, you know, they're all just pretending, right? I'm like, yeah, I know. Cause you're, you've convinced me of it. Look at all the evidence and it's a false premise, but that is what your brain tells you. Right. Um, but have, has anybody had experience bringing their imposter syndrome feelings to their peers in the cosplay community and had an experience doing that? I, Trina, I'll, I'll ask you that. Is that something that, has been a good experience? It has. Experience. It has been a really good experience. So um, that's been the really great thing about it. If, if when I do talk about it or bring it to friends or bring it to others in the cosplay community, even just people don't even know me in SheProp, they, they can share their experiences of the same thing. And then it makes me feel a little less anxious and a little less hard on myself about it of that oh right I'm not the only one also I don't have to be the absolute expert on this to be able to create a, a costume that I will enjoy and that other people will enjoy like I so far what I've made like I I have a lot of fun wearing it once I do get it done and put it on my body um you know and that's all been really great and so I find the cosplay community has been super supportive and actually like Beverly mentioned before, when others share their failures, it's reassuring. I feel like, oh, right, they struggle too. Like, it's okay I had to rip out this seam four times. That happens <laughs> to everybody. It's okay. Or it happens to somebody that, you know, I look up to. That it, This is just part of the process. And sort of just being kind to myself and um, even just saying like, oh, what would I say if, if my friend had had the same problem? What would, I say, what would I say to them about it? Would I be so harsh on, on them? I wouldn't. So I kind of have to talk to myself as if I'm talking to my friend and be kinder and gentler. And yeah. Do you think that social media has <laughs> added to yes. feelings of imposter syndrome as well? Or It can. And so that you can get really caught up in that, especially like on Instagram, because it's all just pictures. Um, it's my favorite favorite quote I've heard, which um, I heard from my sister-in-law first, um, was don't compare their highlight reel to your behind the scenes. Mm. Because that's what it is. I'm like, right. Yes. This is the highlight reel. This is the best of the best. Even though you took a picture, you know, took a selfie five times, they're only going to show the one that turned out the best, which is natural. That's normal. Um, but also sort of like, don't get stuck in that rut of like, constantly looking at all these beautiful cosplays and being like, oh, mine's not that beautiful. Well, also, they're farther away. You're not that close to it. It's okay. The five-foot rule, you know? Like, I do think it contributes to that because it's so easy to just get just drowned in all of this perfection that you're, that seems, it seems like perfection. And Lizzie, do you right. have anything to add to the social media aspect of this? 
I totally do because it kind of goes back into like how long I've been doing this. Um, I, I didn't mention that I've been cosplaying since 2004. And so when I first started, there was no such thing as Instagram, (laughs) you know, and it was a bunch of nerds getting together at a con dressing up. And, you know, there are varying degrees of seriousness, obviously, but I do feel that because I had pre-existing self-loathing and self-esteem issues and I had cosplayed and it was very therapeutic and helpful for me, which I'll go into that later. But um, the fact that social media began affected me greatly, not just as somebody who likes the cosplaying hobby, but as an artist, because you have to, it's like to the point that now like publishers and agents don't want to represent you unless you have already done the legwork Mm -hmm. of having followers and being perfect and being really on your game. And that's a lot of energy and emotional time for an artist or anybody to try to keep up with. So like it has negatively impacted me because I'll look at my stuff and be like, what in the heck King? Sorry, try not to cuss. What is the point (laughs) of me having 10 years of this intense professional training if I can't even look good on social media. Like if these people who don't have that are like doing these incredible photographs and I realize that a lot of it does come down to issues of race and class and gender that we don't talk about. So, you know, I do not have unlimited resources and time to be, and most people don't, to be pumping my energy into making costumes constantly and to be taking professional photographs. I just don't. I don't have, I'm not operating at a high enough income level that I can justify hiring a professional photographer and even take the time because I got work, you know? Um, So I think that's something that's really important to remember is that yes, social media does present this sort of perfect film reel of like what you, you know, only the best of your work, but it's also very dangerous in that it presents an ideal that you should live up to which isn't true. So in my own personal work, I really try on my Instagram feed to just make it just look like I'm just working in my studio. Like it doesn't have to be a professional photograph and I've never had a professional photographer for my stuff, you know, Um, but I'm still here. Like, and so are thousands of other people who are still doing it. Um, So I do think that was initially a struggle for me was like, oh my God, like I now, not only do I need to be really good at sewing and really good at crafting Mm. to get a job, now, on top of that, I need to be a photographer. I need to be a videographer. I need to edit my own stuff. I marketing. need to do all this. I need to be a marketing manager for myself. And it is unreasonable and unfeasible. So there's sometimes where stuff just has to give. And I do think that that's very important to remember that with social media, while it is important to try it or at least do it, like it's also very revealing as far as like, you know, don't compare yourself to somebody who's making 100K a year, has a spouse and the American dream. Because I will not be that person. I might never be that person at my current trajectory. So I just have to be chill and be like, all right, like I, I made this cosplay with, with within my budget. It took me a year and a half to do it, but I did it, you know, and here's my process shots. Like <laughs> that has been very helpful for me. But yeah, I, I do think that just being aware that what you're consuming isn't always the truth it's and it it also might be someone else's truth but it might not be yours and that's really important to remember I think personally with social media now the other part of of putting ourselves out there not just social media that's also the competition culture that has developed with cosplay 
Um, Beverly, I'd like to hear from you about that because I know you've competed and you've also sat behind the desk. Mm -hmm. How do you think competitions in cosplay have contributed to these feelings of, of imposter syndrome and anxiety traits? Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> um, I think that if you, as a competitor, so I've been, like you said, I'm on both sides and I honestly don't know what is harder um, with, with a, with having imposter syndrome is being the person who is being judged. Like literally people are looking at your stuff and, and, and judging your, your work. It is hard to separate that from judging you um, when you are there and you are exposing yourself to these experts and people who they do know what they're talking about. Hopefully, hopefully if they're good judges, <laughs> they know what they're talking about and they've seen, they have expertise and, and they, their job right now is to be critical of, I mean, it's like, it's like imposter syndrome nightmare for, for someone who suffers from that, right? Um, similarly with the judging, when you're on the other side of the table and you're looking at all of this amazing work and I've been in that situation where I'd be like, oh my God, why am I here? Like this, at any moment now, this contestant's gonna be looking at me like, you know what, you don't really know what you're talking about. Should you, do you wanna switch places with me? Like, and, and, and I'll be the judge for the rest of the competition. Um, so both, the important thing is that both, both things are very valid. Um, but I think that the competitions puts, it's a space that I think is necessary for, for cosplay. It is part of the culture. It's an important part. It's very important for lots of people who like to have that competition in their, as a part of their work. I also think it's great to experience that. Um, but I also think that there's a lot of pressure to compete. Like the competing isn't your thing. You've tried it and you're like, you know what? That's not really my, my jam. Like I don't really like being, being picked over my, my work or maybe it's just too stressful. Um, I have felt in the past that I should be competing more. And I just don't like being under the microscope that much in front of everybody, in front of a panel of judges and then like have to walk across the stage and then like perform. It's like the whole performance part of it is just, it's just too much. Um, and I finally gave myself permission to not do those anymore and to focus on something else. Um, so I think that competitions are, they're a great learning space if, you, if you're up for it. And if you try it and it is just too much for you, it's okay to step back and to not participate in those things. And I think that a lot of, a lot of comparing yourself in your work to other people, you know, the competition track there, those folks are, some of them have a couple of decades of expertise under their belt, or they've only been doing things for one year. So it's like this whole gamut of like the best of the best and to put yourself in there and then maybe not win it's just, I think that you have to allow yourself to not do it if that's something that you don't really want to participate in. If you don't want that, it's okay. It's all right not to compete in cosplay. It can be just a hobby. And I take that back, not just a hobby. It can be something that you love. And you don't need to add those layers of, of, of scrutiny onto your cosplay experience. Um, I hope that my rambling makes some sort of sense. Well, does anybody have something else to add about either competitions or cosplay in general, how it has impacted their relationship to imposter syndrome and anxiety, either in a good or bad way? Um, Trina, let's ask I you. Feel like, 
I feel like it's been both for me. I feel like I didn't really experience a lot of imposter syndrome until I started cosplaying. Um, But then through the cosplay community, I'm, I get, you know, bolstered and I get reassured and I get healthy ways to deal with the imposter syndrome. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword um, on that for me. Um, Anybody else have a way that it has benefited or hurt them if, if that's appropriate. Lizzie? Yeah, I can definitely talk about that because for me, starting off cosplaying, I was 14 and definitely had some identity issues. And uh, the imposter syndrome was there, just didn't have a word for it, you know. Um, And cosplaying really allowed me to just like, you know, step into the parts of a character that I admire the most and see that part of them in myself. So two really awesome examples of this, one is behind me, is Jotaro Kujo from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, consummate badass, complete opposite of me as a human, like I do not act like that at all, but when I put on that costume, there's just something about me, I'm like, yeah, remember that time you were like completely broke and working in New York City and like, yeah, I don't have a stand that stops time, but I am a badass in my own way, (laughs) like I am a force to be reckoned with. And so I do think that putting on cosplay of certain characters, like another one for me was I did Lady Eboshi from Princess Mononoke. And she's a really important character to me. I mean, she's kind of antagonistic, but when you really break her down, she has the best interests of her people in mind. And also she's very strong. And so I find that embodying that character helps me reflect on myself and be like, there's a reason I like this person. You know, there's a, because there is some part of me that identifies with Jotaro Kujo, <laughs> despite the fact that I am not him. There's some part of me that's just like, I'm going to order, order the world right now. And I don't even care. Like, I don't even care who knows it. So <laughs> in that way, cosplay has been very transformative and overwhelmingly a positive experience to help me heal from my sense of low self-esteem and bad self-worth, and also to help me overcome imposter syndrome. It also feels really good to be like, I didn't do this for my job for a hot second, and I still care, and it looks amazing, and it's like, I don't have to do this to get paid, but I can, like, you know, make a beautiful look, and it'll be fun. And it's a good Mm -hmm. mental break from the grind of being like, oh my God, how am I going to get that next job? How am I going to convince someone to pay me $30 an hour to make them a custom cosplay? How am I going to convince the next person that I'm worth a damn as, a, as an artist and as a person? And it's a constant struggle when you have mental health issues to continue to fight that every single day. And in cosplaying, I don't have to. I just step into that role and I'm like, cool, I'm here. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> So I do want to switch gears a little bit at this point, because we've been talking about your own experiences and, and it's really good for us to hear those. They, they, you all have very different experiences and relationships to this topic. And that's a good thing to be exposed to, but we do live in a world where society at large is impacting how we view everything, how we feel about ourselves, um, how we feel about mental health. I mean, all of this is not in a bubble. So How do you see society as a whole, particularly towards women, impacting feelings of anxiety, impacting feelings of imposter syndrome and these these traits that we have and and how that makes it hard for us to take credit for our work? Um, Angela? 
have something to add? (laughs) I would definitely say, again, um, so much of it is social media and um, seeing everybody's highlight reels rather than the reality. Uh, And, um, but as far as, as far as not being able to uh, like take credit for uh, the work that you've done, um, like if that's what we're talking about, yeah, to accept praise. Uh, women have always been, at least in my family too, always been sort of brought up to smile and don't rock the boat and make sure everybody else is happy. Uh, and, um, and in my family too, uh, bragging was seen as like, that's a negative thing. Like you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, for a very, very long time, um, I couldn't accept a compliment without degrading it somehow deflecting. Um, but, and I think that's a lot of people's experience. Um, but in society in general, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, it's, it's been a long time of women are seen as bitches or conceited or arrogant if we toot our own horn, if we seem confident about ourselves, uh, whereas men usually are praised for that. Oh, he's confident. You know, he's, you know, it's, it's it, yeah. yeah, they're strong. They have a strong personality. Um, it's just not seen in the same way even though you know we're in 2020 but it's we still see it happening and lizzie did you have something to add to that topic totally i do think that my identity as a woman it has contributed to feelings of imposter syndrome especially working in costumes it's a very woman dominated field it truly is and and oftentimes you walk into a costume shop and it's all women Um, And even in that environment, I still, when I was first starting out, felt that I wasn't good enough and that I was not going to be able to perform well enough. And sometimes it was reinforced. I do think that the negative ways that women are taught to kind of see themselves in the workplace as being like, you know, not as important or not as not as able to take credit for their achievements as men typically are. I think it sometimes trickles down onto new people coming into a new job. So I definitely felt that when I was first learning that I kind of was like, oh, I don't want to be too arrogant about my ability because I'm only, you know, despite actually being good at this, I'm only 22, you know, when I first started and I was like, I really can't own this. But then I would kind of see like in other disciplines in theater, like set design or things Mm -hmm. that are a little more male, male dominated that they were just like, you know, building sets and owning their stuff. Like they were like, I'm good at this. You know, I'm using a tool right now. And I was like, gosh, I'm operating like, you know, what a a 3000 RPM industrial (laughs) sewing machine. I'm over here going, oh God, I I just, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this. And you're like, that's not true. So yeah, I do think, and certainly like as I've gotten older and progressed in my field, I do think that the experience has helped, but also the having my eyes wide open and seeing that there is a difference in the way women are treated at work as opposed to the way men are treated at work 
has made me realize like, oh, a lot of this isn't necessarily just me being like, oh, I'm bad at it and I'm a bad person and I'm not good enough and I don't belong here. A lot of it is, is in fact, societally reinforced. And I do have direct experience with that in my job, especially since in, in a lot of cases, like costuming is, is not necessary. It's like costuming and props are kind of like not really treated as, as important, even mm-hmm. budget-wise, time-wise. Mm-hmm. I usually work over hire. So that means that I'm the last priority mm-hmm. on any budget, period. And so I'm the first to get cut and I am also generally a stitcher. So I am the lowest person on the tier of who operates in the costume shop. Costume shops don't, they know they need us. You know, the, the, the designers know they need us to make their stuff look good. But when cuts are made, I'm the first to go. So that does really tie into kind of your sense of self-worth and your sense of validity as a not just as a creator, but I do think like, you know, a lot of these people who work as stitchers are women. And mm-hmm. it does say a lot about sewing and, and garment making being seen as women's work. Whereas, you know, something like tailoring, which is more masculine, which I can do, I can be a good tailor, but it still is sort of more of a man's realm. So I, I would say that that has absolutely impacted me and the feelings of imposter syndrome have, especially when I was first starting out as an intern at Center Stage, um, I did feel like I didn't belong there. I wasn't that I wasn't good enough. And I think a lot of it had to do with my socialization as a woman. So I think it's, it's more of society being comfortable, being comfortable with having society need to learn to be comfortable with strong women and uh, people of color, you know, being in those arenas and how it's just really startling. I think right now for people who are new to that, of that, yeah, we can have diversity and other people can do these things and be in this arena. And it doesn't threaten your spot in this arena mm-hmm. as someone who is not, who doesn't identify as female or someone who doesn't identify as a person of color. And you can leave space for them and it's not going to diminish, diminish what you can do. And it's not going to d- take away from, from where, you, where you can be. There's plenty of room for everybody. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people deflect compliments, which... <laughs> I should be more sensitive to, I should be more sensitive to the fact that a lot of people are told that if somebody says that looks great, they say, oh no, or they say, I had a lot of help, or they say, yeah, but yours is better. You know, whatever, whatever this deflection is, um, I think a lot of people are told that that's how you are polite. supposed to be. Yeah, polite. That's that's Mm -hmm. how you are ladylike. that is always am, something I've had to work on of like that. I, I consciously say, thank you. I just say, yeah. yes, thank you. That's nice. I'm like, oh, yes, thank you. And that has had to be something I thought about of stopping and just being like, oh, accepting it. Yes. yes. This is nice. And don't throw it back also. No. Like, yes, thank you. You don't say you too. Cause how fake does that sound when somebody right? says you look great? You too. Like, exactly. That's a real fake thing to say. Just say, thank you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's a, nice to hear. And then later you can compliment somebody mm-hmm. if you want to. Um, so I need to be more sensitive to the fact that not everybody has that approach. Um, but a lot of people were told that they have to have that approach. And I think they can get uncomfortable sort of owning that, of owning that, oh, I do deserve this praise and just accepting it. It's uncomfortable for them. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I've noticed that a lot. Um, 
that actually kind of leads right into this next question, which is why do we think we are told that that is appropriate and that is polite and that is how we should respond when we are given praise and when somebody wants to reward us for our hard work? Um, Beverly, we haven't heard from you in a moment. I don't know. I, I think that um, <laughs> basketball coach once told me that practice makes permanent. It doesn't make perfect. Mm. And so if you practice these habits of deflecting or, or you know, all of that, that becomes your, your norm, right? Mm. And that is also what people learn that are around you. So that includes our kids, the people that we encounter in our lives, our friends, so it's really hard to break out of those um, those patterns, and um, I think that, like going back to what we've talked about before with having these discussions, it's really important. It's really, really important. And it's also important to call each other out on these things when we do these things, because um, yeah, it's it's way easier to say, oh no, whatever, if somebody tells you that you're amazing and you're awesome. It's really hard for me to do still, but I I do try. Um, I think that social media, funnily enough, like Instagram is giving me a, a, a place where I can just say, thank you so much. Heart, okay. heart, 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 heart. You know, like I can do that. Or someone sends yeah. me a message and they say, your, your work is amazing and I've been inspired and blah, 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 blah. Um, that's a chance for me to practice, right? So I would just say, make more, more, more time for yourself to practice those things mm-hmm. and call, it, call your friends out when they do those things. I actually had to do that twice today before this panel. <laughs> I've had to do that to you multiple times. I know you have. And now I know, and Abby, now I know that you and I are, we are the same in that way. And I didn't know that. And now, and that helps me know that like, if, if there's something that I am having a hard time with, like I can't accept a compliment or whatever. Um, now I feel like I could probably be like, Hey, Abby, um, this, I'm feeling like an imposter right now. Like, can you help me through this? And I, and I think that we need to be able to reach out to our friends to, to help us take that next step forward so we can get away from ourselves and, you know, turn that side of our, our evil side. That's like, no, you can't do that. You don't belong here. Um, because friends like you, Abby, are able to be like, what? I don't, I don't even understand that. And so, and then doing that is sort of normalizing, well, why am I feeling this way? And she's not. So there's, there's probably a good reason for that. And maybe it's okay for me to not feel that way too. It's just so practice makes permanent. Uh, just practice, practice. I, have I don't know that really... I answered the question, but. <laughs> it was a great answer. I yeah. have my, I have my go-to finger wag that I give to people who are getting into that cycle. And it's, it's don't dim your shine. Like if I have somebody who's just being like, why me and not them? Nope. It's you. It's you. Yeah. You get it, polish it, spit, shine it. That's you. So that's my go-to when I'm trying to knock people out of out of negative spirals. Yeah. Um, one more thing, just super fast before we launch into the next thing. Someone told me um, a while ago that like if you if you think about what you would say, the things in your mind, whatever it is that you're thinking, would you say that to tiny you, like young you, mm. a, a child? Would you tell that child, no, you can't do that? Mm-hmm. Would you say, would you say that to the younger version of yourself? And the answer is hopefully going to be, no, I would never say that. So you have to be kinder to yourself. And that I just wanted to throw that out there. It was something I wanted to not forget to say during this panel, because I think it's important. Mm-hmm. I think Trina said it a little bit where mm-hmm. she said, would you say that to your friend? Yeah. 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 And so right. I have to, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, would I say that? But you're like, yeah. little you? Yeah. You'd be like, oh, yeah. little me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and if you heard somebody saying these things that we say to ourselves, to um, your best friend, you'd be yeah. like, don't talk yeah. to my friend that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we are down to the end of our panel. And I do just want everybody to go around one more time um, to say their names, where we can find them on social media. And if you do have a final thought, something that you would like to leave everybody with when we're wrapping up. So Angela, let's start with you. Uh, So again, I'm Angela Jarman, and you can find me on fancyfairy.com. It's my main site. uh, And Fancy Fairy Angela on Instagram is where I am the most active. And anything that you'd like to leave us with? Oh, um, I'll probably just reiterate with what Beverly had just said uh, about, yeah, it, if it's something that you wouldn't say to little you or something that you wouldn't say to a friend, um, realize uh, how negative it is to do it to yourself. And um, yeah, pra- practice Practice might not make perfect, but practice will practice will give you some confidence in the work that you are doing and get you closer to your goal. And uh, Trina. I'm Trina Lucas. Um, you can find me at Lee Couture on Instagram or LeeCouture.com or Lee Couture on Facebook. Um, I would like to to reiterate that don't diminish your accomplishments. Um, Where you are is where you are, and it's taking you time to get here, and you'll be better just to keep keep making your art, just keep doing it. Um, Yeah, just hang in there. And Beverly. I'm Beverly from Down in Creative Studios, which you can find me on all the socials there. You can also find me in SheProp um, on all the social medias. And the, the last thing is something I've already said um, that I really, really encourage you. And when I was preparing for this panel, I was looking for what other people were saying about imposter syndrome because I was feeling like I, maybe I wasn't actually going to be saying the right things about it. So I overprepared. Um, but in doing that, um, I found a lot of resources online. The TED Talks are amazing. Please go, even if you, even if you don't, Abby, suffer from imposter syndrome, go check out the, the TED Talks on it so that you can kind of understand and, um, and hear these stories from these incredibly successful people who aren't in cosplay or creative worlds, just to, just to feel, realize that this is not just isolated in a creative community. It is also affects um, the majority of successful people. So um, I encourage you all to to go check that out, and I will. I have some links. We'll we'll add them in the in the show notes. And Lizzie, I am Lizzie Chapman. Uh, you can find me mostly on Instagram at Tin Lizzie Draws or at Tin Lizzie Costumes. That's where you'll see my illustration and costume work. Um, not great at having a cosplay name, but <laughs> Tin Lizzie will do. Um, and my closing thought is just to remember that in all of this, what imposter syndrome does do to you is it makes you feel like you are a product. And that's not the summation of what you are. You are not defined by what you can produce and you're not defined by how well you serve either the institution that you work for or, you know, your, whatever your career path is. So it's, I I just would like to leave everybody with that thought that, you know, 
there's a big push to commodify. If we're talking about cosplay specifically in this panel, there's a big push to commodify cosplay. There's a big push to monetize it. And just kind of remember that that's not at its core essentially what it's about. So you might see somebody in like an amazing like World of Warcraft, incredible EVA foam costume with huge lights and everything. And it's on the, you know, front page of like a cosplay magazine. And then you see it in Joanne Fabrics and you're like, oh, my God, I just want to do that. The thing is that that's great, but that's also a, a product or a monetized version of your passion of your hobby. And that doesn't have to be you. You don't have to feel like you're an imposter in this space that's really for everyone just because you're not producing that kind of work. Because again, you're not a product. There's a lot to be said for the enjoyment of just putting the costume on, having fun, and you know, dressing up like your favorite character because you love them. <laughs> well, and I'm Abby of Abby Cat Cosplay. You can find me on Abby Cat Cosplay on Facebook and Instagram. Um, my final thought is, you know, if you have that feeling that you're an imposter, that you don't deserve what you're getting, or that people think you don't deserve to be there, people think you're not good enough to be there, that's their problem. You are where you are. You're as good as you are. What anybody else thinks about you is none of your business. So that's, that's how I move through life. It's great. Anxiety for me manifests itself in very different ways. Um, but you can also find us all in the SheProp community on Facebook. Um, so if you're listening to this panel, please come and join us in the SheProp community. We are open to women, trans, and non-binary artists, makers, cosplayers. You will find an extremely supportive group where you can talk about things like this, get support for things like this, and support others for things like this. So panelists, thank every, I thank all of you for participating. I'd also like to thank our fantastic behind-the-scenes team which consists of Beverly um, and also Monica of Geeksagogo and Mia of Mia May Cosplay. They help get these things online for you all to enjoy. So once again, thank everybody for being here. Thank everybody for working on this. And I hope you guys all have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Bye. Bye. Bye.